Hey guys, you're listening to the Couplings Fire Podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Chris. And I'm Taylor. We are married. And we're both firefighters. Join us as we talk anything and everything fire related. We don't claim to be experts. We're just two people who love to talk fire. And everything we say are our own opinions. Our goal is to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to better their department, however they can. Let's get on the episode. I did read somewhere on Facebook, I think, that I don't know if it's like a lot of people or just one place or whatever. They're trying to bring back the like medium diameter hose for interior firefighting. And I guess I don't understand what that means. Is that just like three inch? Or... When I went through my firefighter one, it was small and big. Yeah. Like, there was attack line and then there was supply line mm-hmm. but like we had three inch at our first apartment that we never used but it was there right yeah so like it, would that be was, it what, got used for more supply line but yeah when it did get used i don't know i didn't i don't know much about it so i didn't know if you had an opinion i don't know on what it. would be considered medium diameter if that would be two and a half to three i don't know i don't know that's pretty but like two and a half is pretty standard to also go interior with though for, right. for career departments, but at you least. can use a two and a half for. A, you can double two and a half and use it for a supply line too, though. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's considered a medium diameter because I don't know much more than a two and a half and a three, before you get to five inch. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know. Are you googling it? Well, I was trying to, but it's not really saying much. So I don't know. I, don't I saw know. it on Facebook somewhere, and I can't remember exactly where I saw it. I know for a while there, they're trying to get guys to get real comfortable with doing a two and a half again on the inside. But that's the only thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't know. This week has been a really long week. Did You did your ICS class yesterday. I did. I did. I did ICS 100. So the super, uber, uber, uber duper basic. And everyone's like, why, probably, why haven't you gotten that yet? If you've been a firefighter for eight years. (laughs) Yeah. Well, our department didn't require it when I got on. And I kind of had no other reason to get it. I didn't, I, but I'm not an EMT, so I didn't aim for that. And I just kind of honestly put it off. Yeah, well, and I said, the only reason I had mine is for my EMT course. And I don't even think I had to take it for my firefighter one, I don't think. Not that I remember anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was it was easy. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a little bit confusing in some parts of it. I think just the way they were wording things. Yeah. But, like, you know all the stuff. If you've been in the fire service even, like, for six months, you probably know it. You just don't know it. <laughs> you just don't know that you know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it was easy and quick, what, total of not even two hours to take the class and the and the test. So, got that certificate. So, next I'll be working on 200, 700, and 800 to get checked off my list. And then I'll move on to some other fun ones. There like, and people are like, why would you take other FEMA classes if you don't have to? But there are some good ones on there. Um... You know, and it really depends on what you want to do, what you want to get into. Like, uh, so the public information officer, there's a class for that. It's a uh, IS-29, 
don't know how many hours it is, can't remember. But, like, that's something I really like and I would like to get into more officially. I mean, mm -hmm. I kind of have been doing the PIO kind of position for a while, just not officially called right, that. Yeah. It's the unofficial position of it. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be kind of cool just to kind of, you know, go, run over the more, like, official stuff with that. And, you know, there are, I'm sure, other classes on there, too, that, you yeah. know, would be nice to just have. It never hurts to have the extra knowledge anyway. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd go out of my way for like a, what did that one guy say he took, like 40 hours or something like that? Well, he did IS, he did uh, ICS 300 and 400. So between those two classes, it was a total of 80 hours. Yeah. And they were all in person. Yeah. So, so I don't think I would go out of my way to do something like that, but I mean like, Easy courses, like, well, not necessarily even easy, but just courses you can do online on your own time and get that extra knowledge, even if you feel you already know it. I mean, you might as well. Oh, yeah. Well, like, uh, last year during all the lockdown stuff, I mean, I was doing um, IFSI, which is the Illinois Fire Service Institute. They have a, had a bunch of classes online that you could take, you know, and you had to be on there at a certain time for their different Zoom classes and stuff. But I took a bunch of those and I loved it. Yeah. You know, I learned quite a bit in like the rural water supply one and stuff. Cause even though I've run the tanker a lot, I have ran the tanker a lot. I still learned a lot from it, you know, and it's a lot more of, it was really cool. Cause they actually have a formula where you can figure out, you know, like how many trucks you're going to need, depending on how long it takes your trucks to go, some, go to your fill site, come back and how long it takes for them to fill. And you can kind of almost have it pre-filled out most of the way. And then just, like, track your first truck, and then you're going to figure out how many trucks you need, if you need more um, resources on scene or not, to yeah. keep up with what you need to, to use to fight the fire. And so it was just, it was really cool, because, like, math, you know? Like, and I don't love math, but, like, you know, having something like that, where you can, like, have it pre-made and ready for, you know, work to get done and stuff, is just, and make it easier, and honestly, stuff that other people don't really care about, it's kind of cool. Yeah. So... No, I, I don't know. It's one of those deals, like, people probably do it with, well, not without thinking, but they probably do it. They just, they have never gone through an official class to do it. So, you know, it's just all kind of done in their head, and that's what you do, you know? And mm -hmm. So, yeah, I remember you telling me about that. That's pretty cool. So, and I'm not a huge tanker guy, so. <laughs> I'm not yeah. on that side of it, but I could definitely see it, but. Yeah, so, I mean, those classes, I mean, there's, and there's, there's other places. People don't really love UL, but at the same time, I don't mind it, especially for um, the stuff, like, just some of the stuff to learn about, like, the basement fires. I learned a lot on their online class that they have. And it's, you, anyone can go take it whenever they want, you know? I learned a lot <laughs> off of yeah. that. I think, because I told you after it all, I'm like, I learned all this, like, and, the, and I got stuff a lot, I got it right, you know? Because I was basically testing myself later, and, like, I put it to YouTube fires in my head, you know, and, like, test my knowledge on this stuff, and it worked. Yeah. You know, it was right, so. Well, even, I guess the thing that gets me is, like, even if you know the knowledge that's being presented to you, there's always little tidbits and stuff that you don't think about that a lot of times is presented in the classes that you just don't think about. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an expert or great or anything like that. I have very little experience with it, but I feel like I know how to fight a basement fire. But yeah, you brought a whole bunch of information to me that I just, honestly, just kind of never thought about, you know? And like, oh, that is interesting. 
We might have to get into those one day. Yeah. On here. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. Anyways. So. Would you like to say hi to everybody? Sure. Uh, hi, guys. Welcome to the conversation. Hello. <laughs> Welcome in. Uh, we have an exciting episode for you guys tonight. We do. It's very, very exciting. It's very exhausting. How is it exhausting? Because just listening to him exhausts me. Why? <laughs> He's not boring. No, 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 no. That's that's not what I'm getting. I'm at. I'm I'm trying to like get it right in these people's heads that he's not boring. That's not what you're well, saying. I'm that... trying to get it right that even listening to him, I'm exhausted knowing what he does on his uh, firefighter challenge. <laughs> like, just listening to him talk about it is just like, holy crap, you do all this and the training, and it's just like, okay, I'm tired just listening. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, tonight, guys, we have an awesome interview for you. It's one of our friends, Shane Smith. We met him at the Les Luger conference that we talk way too much about, and I'm not going to apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shane is just an awesome, awesome firefighter, and he's willing to talk to anyone and absolutely just you can tell he has a blast doing what he does so yeah we get into uh first of all he competes in the scott firefighter combat challenge every year which is amazing i've went and seen it before and it's 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 really cool if you guys haven't checked it out go look it up they have a website i'm sure there's runs of it on youtube go go check out what it is it's pretty cool to come back and listen to this and see his experience with it. And then we'll also, after we kind of talk about that for a bit, we'll get into talking about, he, he has created this class that he's teaching that has all to do with uh, mental health with first responders. We personally haven't sat in on the class. We haven't got that opportunity yet, but we are in there for, what, maybe 15 minutes? <sighs> yeah, so. about the first 10 minutes of it. At the beginning of this class, and you could just, it was one of those classes you could kind of tell, this is going to be a good one, so... Uh, we kind of talked to him a little bit about that and where that class came from, and uh, it's exciting. It's a fun one. We had a blast talking to him. So We literally could have talked all night. Yeah, we could have. We actually had to cut it off because <laughs> we all had to go to sleep. So. <laughs> but anyway, with that, here is our interview with Shane Smith. All right, you guys, we are here with Shane Smith, and we're going to talk to him about a few different things tonight. Uh, so Shane, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? All right. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, uh, my name is Shane Smith. So you, you did get that right. Um, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to pronunciate that. Uh, I usually like to tell people the last name is spelled S M I T H. The S is silent. You can figure the rest of that out. So, <laughs> 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 um, but uh, so I am a career firefighter in McCook, firefighter paramedic um, down in McCook. I've been with the city since 2001. I did the testing for that department a week before 9-11. Um, and so was actually a part of uh, the, I, they offered me the job the Monday before that big event happened in the fire service so wow. that was kind of how I started my life as a career firefighter it was like it had a huge impact on me and everything that I've done since so but uh, so I started October 1 2001 with the city uh, I was a EMT basic at the time and then decided I wanted to pursue the paramedic 
and went on. I got my paramedic in 2004, um, and I've been practicing as a paramedic since. Uh, before I joined the city, I was a volunteer with Red Willow Western Rural Fire Department Hazmat Response Team out here. So I have been on both sides of the fence. I have walked the volunteer shoes, and I have walked the career shoes, and I kind of like being a volunteer once in a while. So I can see <laughs> myself transitioning back into the, that role again. I told you guys before we, uh, when we first hooked up that I can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel as my life as a career firefighter. Uh, have done a ton of things, got to see a lot of the world in the United States, that is, I guess. <laughs> um, got to experience some things that I would have not ever got to experience had it not been for the fire service so i'm eternally grateful for that get to meet cool people like you guys uh, and thank uh, you there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot coming through me i'm like what we're cool people <laughs> so yeah and i taught for uh i know you guys had tim zender on from out here a few weeks ago and i taught with tim at the in the fire science program so tim likes to brag that you know he got all of us as his instructors and i have to occasionally remind him that i got him his job because i turned it down so oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> tim so, if you're listening yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's kind of me uh, well uh that's my professional life um, my personal life, I, I have two kids, amazing kids. Uh, neither one of them are in the fire service yet. <laughs> I hope they follow in my footsteps and at least become volunteers. Um, I could really see my daughter becoming an EMT. She just kind of lives for that stuff. She spent enough time at the firehouse that uh, she kind of has picked up on all of that and really enjoys the EMS side of it, she likes seeing all the gross injuries that no one else <laughs> likes to see. So, <laughs> and and Chris likes to do the fire side of it. He's done some fire trainings with us, and we put him in the pack. And he's been a victim for us a few times and gotten carried out of a building. And that's always fun to <laughs> hear him kind of squealing around. But he uh, he works at the work ethic camp here, so he's a corrections officer. So he gets the whole first responder you know, law enforcement side of it. Um, and we've had several conversations that uh, the impact that has on your life. And he was pretty excited when he got that job because he's like, I finally feel like I'm helping someone. And so, yeah. And I have a two-year-old grandson. I know I don't look old enough to have a grandson and I don't, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do have a two-year-old. So you got to hang out with him for a little bit this evening before I hooked up with you guys. So that was pretty awesome. So. Yeah, that is awesome. So. And then uh, I have been dating an amazing woman since about December, which kind of leads into this whole topic of why we are here tonight. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're. I... <laughs> so we I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, Brian, uh -huh. like, we're like, uh, uh, uh. So Shane, you love, from what I understand, you love doing it anyway. You're part of the, the firefighter combat challenge. So kind of, yeah, first off, I want to figure out what was your journey to, to getting into that and why, and cause that seems like it, it's, 
it's a cool thing, but like not everybody does it. So how did you, is that where you're going with this? Sure. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you even find it? How did you find out what it was? How did you decide you wanted to do it? You know, stuff like well, that. Well, it's kind of funny how I stumbled into it because I really did just kind of stumble into it. But um, I first saw the firefighter, the, and it's the Scott Firefighter Combat Challenge. So Scott Air Packs are the, they've been a sponsor of this for, Oh, before I was involved in doing it. So um, Dr. Paul Davis uh, created this in, what, 91 as a physical fitness ability, like candidate testing for fire departments. Okay. Because there really wasn't any true candidate physical agility tests out there. And they were trying to, you know, get the whole science behind it. and. So they ended up, um, he worked with some departments in Maryland. That's where this all originated from and created this unique event that has turned into what ESPN calls it the toughest two minutes in sports. And that's my first exposure to it was I saw it on TV and I thought, holy shit, those guys are badass. <laughs> and uh, then it was probably, it was like 2006, uh, our department, we had a few guys from our fire department that uh, went out to Denver and did a relay race. So the, the Scott Combat Challenge, they do an individual, they do tandem races, they do a relay race, and they decided to go do the relay race. And it's five different guys and there's five events so each one picks an event and kind of the one that you think you're going to be the best at and you go race against another team uh, and the clock and in the the relays <coughs> the relay race is like a, a tournament bracket style so the faster you run the higher your seating in the tournament or in the bracket is and then you go head to head. And as long as you keep winning, you keep advancing in a bracket. But then once you, you're, you're, you're guaranteed two races, one is a seating race for your seating time. And then your next one is, you know, if you, it's a, if you win, you go on, if not, you go home. So, oh man. <laughs> yeah. So then in 2007, they were doing it again in Denver. And I was like, Hey, I, I want to be a part of that. And one of the volunteers that had, been on the team the year before uh wasn't on our department anymore and i'm like hey i would love to go do this and so i ended up doing the hose drag portion of the relay race and i as long as we do relay teams that's my event that i do and i have kind of got it figured out and have been able to get pretty quick at that portion of it <laughs> <laughs> and then the next year and I, we watched the individuals run and I was like, man, that'd be kind of cool to do. But I'm like, that, like, there's no way I'd be able to do it. So the next year they were competing and they were going to go to Omaha. Uh, my first year we did it, we did it. We ran in, in Denver or Westminster and then in Omaha, the guys from Westminster are at the time were pretty 
well known on the, the circuit as far as having one of the faster teams. And so they were hosting an event and we had teams like the Air Force Academy and from Colorado Springs that just kicked everybody's ass at the time. Oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, they're training at 7,000 feet. So they were one of the fastest times, you know, the, the current world record holder for the female division, Juliet Draper is, was out of Colorado Springs. And I, I meant to look up and see what the world record time was for the women, but I, I can tell you the men's world record time currently is like 117. Holy crap. Oh, <laughs> That's moving. And, oh, and the the relay race, the world record, I think, is 114. Holy cow. I mean, it's just, they're flat flying. Those guys are, it's fun to watch those really fast teams like that, but it's also so intimidating because you're like, holy cow, I've never, like, how do they do it? <laughs> like, it just boggles my mind. You got to so, make yourself go up and go still compete against that just in case. And just like, I got to yeah, go show right? people I can still do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we ran against a team from Texas uh, in, that first year that I was doing it. And we just got our butts handed to us, right? I mean, they just smoked us. And it was kind of funny because we still ran a fast enough time that we qualified for the world championships. Jeez. So in the in the relay race anything under two minutes qualifies you for the world championships and you can at the end of the year so they do a uh, 64 bracket team and they you run go out and do a qualifying run like three days ahead of time they it's a week-long event and they do three days of preliminaries and you run a, a seating race to try to make a fast enough time to qualify in the 64 and we didn't run fast enough to qualify the <laughs> 64. But uh, we had a lot of fun. We and we had a local business here that at the end of the that first year, they like, you guys qualified for the world championships. You have to go. So a bunch of businesses here did <clears throat> fundraisers for us because they wanted to see McCook go to the world championships. And we're all like, yeah, well, you know, we're gonna get our butts handed to us. <laughs> you know, it's, but we it ended up being a really cool experience because, you know, we met some super cool people through that process, you know, and then um, Go Light was the business that stepped up and said, whatever, you know, whatever you guys are short, let us know and, and we'll match that at the end so you guys can go. So we've kind of, so since 2007, we've ran under the banner of Team Go Light with the fire department. So um they they go light is just a huge supporter of the fire service and you know their their lights are on fire trucks across the united states and around the world so it's nice to have that kind of in our backyard mm -hmm. um but then that next year 2008 i wasn't able to go compete on the relay team and we've had several different people fill in on the relay team throughout the years and just, you know trying to find the right mix of guys to be super competitive at it and uh so that next year I didn't get to go and I was like you know I still want to I still want to do something I'm like I think I'm gonna do an individual like and my <laughs> goal the first year was I just want to see like I just want to finish it and see if I can do it so it was kind of a mental thing and a personal challenge for myself um, so we went to 
St. Louis, I think it was. Yeah, I went to St. Louis for that very first year, drove McCook down to St. Louis and to run for four minutes, you know, less than five, <laughs> less than five minutes of work, you know, and I was like, it was at the time the most physically demanding, hardest thing I have ever done in my life. So kind of to break it down for those that don't know what the firefighter combat challenge is is that it's five like i said it was designed as a physical agility test for fire departments so it's five job specific tasks that firefighters have to do and the first event or the first part of it is a stair climb uh, up five flights of stairs carrying a hotel pack or a high-rise pack that weighs 50 pounds so you put that on your shoulder and then you're sprinting to the top of the tower your and then the next ray at the next event at the top of the tower is a hose lift so they have a donut roll a two and a half inch donut roll that weighs 50 pounds basically by the time you get the donut roll itself and then all the rope and the hardware that holds it sprint back down the tower hitting every step on the way down so i didn't know that was the thing that you had yeah, to you have to that every step coming down you can skip them going up but coming down you have to hit every step or it's a one second penalty oh geez and then at the bottom of the tower is the kaiser forcible entry sled which is a 160 pound piece of steel that you're hitting with a sledgehammer an eight pound sledgehammer and trying to move it four feet four or five feet from the kaiser sled you go over to they call it the delineator which is a fancy TV name for a slalom course. So you run through <laughs> an obstacle course of cones and then you drag a charged inch and a half line, like 75 feet, I think it is. And when you get the line stretched all the way out and you're dragging the full weight is just over 200 pounds. Go through some saloon doors, knock a target, you open up the nozzle, spray water on the target to knock the target down drop your hose and if you leave like if you drop the hose and the, the bale stays open it is a uh, three second penalty i think or two second penalty there's another penalty associated with that <laughs> pick up the 180 pound rescue randy mannequin and walk it backwards 100 feet and it's the longest 100 feet in your life <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen that one half. I mean, I've seen I've seen the whole thing before, but that last hundred feet seems to honestly kind of make or break people. It tends to be, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I ran it. That was one of my weaker events. So, like I said, when I ran a relay, I did the hose drag, the the cones, and the hose drag, and I did okay with that, but. When I, my legs were so just exhausted by the time I got to the mannequin that first time, I didn't know if I was going to get him up. Like it, it took me a while. I find, and, and if you, it's almost like if you don't get him up high enough and, or if you drop him, you won't get him picked back up. So yeah. you really got to have a good, cause he'll start to slide down on you the farther you go backwards on the, on the <laughs> course. And then, um, yeah, and so then 
you cross, there's a sensor in Randy's feet. When you cross the finish line, it shuts the clock off and, you know, it's all electronically timed and electronically started. You have a course official that walks with you and identifies whether there's any penalties or not. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and I got done, like I said, it was the hardest thing that you've ever done. And did I mention that when you're doing that, that you're in full PPE, so full bunker gear with an air pack and you have a mask on your breathing, breathing air. No, you didn't mention it, but that is important to note because I don't think people realize you have to do all that too. And yeah. <laughs> how much weight you're still carrying with yourself while you're doing that, you know, so going up the stairs and everything. Because I know we do have yep. listeners who aren't in the fire service too. And yes. we have people who are just really new to this and yep. whatnot. So they don't understand like, yeah, this is meant to test if you're, you know, to, to do this job. So of course they're going to put you in the element you would be. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that kind of, when you do the relay race, you're not, you don't have a face mask on. So it's, they call it, it's. Oh, really? Yeah. You, it's just, uh, your bunker gear and your helmet. Okay. Yeah. You have the pack on as well, but you don't have, you're not on breathing air. So it's just the individual races that you do the the breathing air so it makes it an, you know that added difficulty but it's when we do the relay races the they always joke that it's one fifth the one fifth the work and five times the fun so because it really <laughs> is just it's a blast to do the relay races but you know so and the course officials can stop you at any time if you if they deem that you're not able to continue or like if you are at risk to injure yourself or you know something like that because they they don't want somebody going into cardiac arrest on the course and in 30 years I don't think they've had that happen that's good so they they're really mindful of that and then you when you get done you go through rehab area and you know so it's it's a they're very mindful of the fitness level of it and when I competed this year they even made that comment that it's you know you guys have been proven over and over and over again how important fitness is to this profession and and it's because of you and being you know models for other people that it shows that being physically fit reduces your risk of you know injury it reduces your risk of cardiac arrest on incidents and that kind of stuff so yeah it's they they take it serious but they also like to have fun. So, and that's the important part. And, you know, so that first year, like, man, I, I didn't, I wasn't very fast, but I completed the course. And, and that was my goal is like, I, I got done and I was like, I did it, you know, and not a lot of people can say that they've done that. And I was pretty proud of myself for doing that. And, and like, like I said, I, the time wasn't that whoopee, but I have lots of years to, to practice and get faster. So, uh, so I kind of took that, um, from there, you know, I'm like, just finished doing the, the worst, the hardest thing that I could do. And we, uh, and I'm like, I'm going to drive home thinking, I wonder when I can do that again. You know, so <laughs> kind of gets a little addictive, it, huh? Just a little. Yeah, it got in it it I got bit by the bug that first year that I ran the individual. 
So, um, and then I was like, because I wanted to improve my time. So then we ran, the next year we ran the relay race. I didn't do the individual. And I think we did it twice, maybe 2009. I think 2009 we ran a relay race again again qual- every time that that we've run the relay race since i've been a part of it we've qualified for worlds so that's not that i'm the reason yeah not that i'm the reason that we qualify for worlds. <laughs> sure so, sure I'm just, I'm just saying that you know when i run it they qualify for worlds so there was one year that that i wasn't on it and they went to myrtle beach south carolina so but yeah, so they did, uh, that was 2012, I think, that they went to Myrtle Beach. But we've been to Vegas a couple of times to compete in Worlds. They went to Myrtle Beach. Uh, and then, you know, they've had the event in Grand Island like four years ago. We talked about that uh, when we first started talking tonight and at the State Fair. And, and there's a team from Grand Island, Lonnie's Minions, that, you know, those guys are just, they're seen as rock stars because they're everybody knows them. And, and what's fun about the, the combat challenge events is that the fraternity I've noticed the last couple of years that the competitors are becoming fewer. There's not as many people doing it as initially was, we're doing it. I don't, you know, it's not as popular. I'm not sure what the, the reason for that is, but they're trying to do some things to get more people involved and, so we, you know, we just keep plugging away and hopefully we'll get the relay team back together. You know, as, what is it? The Blues Brothers say, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know how long it's been since I've seen that movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm hoping is that uh, I can, one of these days I can go, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Ride, a, yeah. ride an old police car around with a big old... <laughs> yeah microphone thank you (laughs) yeah so then one of the guys that i work with uh, my lieutenant on my shift i finally got him convinced to do it a few years ago at the state fair and he and i are the only ones that have ran the individual from our department nobody else is i don't know if the right word is crazy enough or (laughs) you know like well i'm not sure how to describe it why you know, they tell me I'm the crazy one. So like, well, yeah, I knew that, but, <laughs> so, but I, I kind of take a little bit of pride in that on my department anyway, is because then it, you know, I set the bar pretty high for those guys and they're like, yeah, we, we can't do that. No, nope. we're not even going to try. <laughs> so, but yeah. And so it's, you know, like I said, when I did it the first time I, it was just to, to finish it. And then it kind of drove me to get better physically fit because I thought I was in good shape and I knew that like I wasn't in anywhere near good enough shape after the first <laughs> one. So then I started training even harder and did it again in 2010 and dropped my time by like 35 seconds. Um, so it was a pretty impressive jump for me. And then I went to, yeah. And then did it in Grand Island, like I three, four, I think three years in a row. Um, I was telling you guys earlier, I, I did it in 2000. Like the last time we did it at the State Fair in Grand Island, I ran and I was, I had been training good and had kind of mixed things up and thought I was doing really good. And 
And I started up the tower and got halfway up the tower and just couldn't figure out why I was so gassed. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. What the hell's wrong? You know, felt like I was running with cinder blocks on my feet and I get done. And my mom looked over who was there watching and cheering me on. She goes, you realize you gave blood on Wednesday, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm running a court low. (laughs) I couldn't believe the difference that it made. Um, But yeah, like I ran a really not my slowest time but I ran a substantially slower time than what I had been doing mm-hmm. and so I was like I do something different and then you know I just keep training at the gym the guys at work you know they give me like I said they give me so much grief about it but I train in my gear I lift weights in my gear I can do conditioning in my gear and then uh, I met this amazing lady at the end of 2020 we did a memorial stair climb at one of the local gyms here. And I met this gal and I was like, man, she's, she's all right, you know? And, and then fast forward to the end of the year, I'd asked her out to dinner finally. And, and she happens to be a personal trainer. It wasn't that I had ulterior motives. That's just one of the benefits of, you know, beating her, but I figured she was put on my path for a reason, you know? Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, but no, she's a, uh, Jen is an amazing, amazing woman and, and pushes me to be even better in the gym. And so she'd asked me like, well, what's one of your goals? And I told her what I wanted to do with the, the combat challenge. And I told her the time that I wanted to be. And she's like, all right, well, I think at the, after the first year, I think I'll train you. Like I didn't have a choice in the matter. She was going to start training me, you know. You're doing it whether you want it or not. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) That was an eye-opener because I thought I was in pretty decent shape until I met her. And man, did that. She whipped my butt into shape even better. So (laughs) um, we just went to South Dakota a few weeks ago and I ran up there and this is the combat challenge's 30th anniversary tour in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota was the first stop. So I ran in the first one of the year and there I'm planning on doing another one somewhere around the country by the end of the year because I want to run another one this year. Uh, and I ran my fastest time that I've ever ran. So I ran my personal best, you know, a few weeks ago and I'm one more year and I'll be in the over 50 category. <laughs> <laughs> So my times are getting faster as I'm getting older, but, uh, and then I have a goal for next year that I really, uh, in the next couple of years, I'm going to shoot for what they call the lion's den. And the lion's den is kind of the all-stars of combat challenge. And it's, if you run a certain qualifying time, it automatically qualifies you for the worlds, uh, in the individual. And then, there's a, you get a letterman's jacket and special recognition at the end of the year at a banquet. And, and uh, the combat challenge staff, that the, the crew, they call it the, the lion's den is the all-stars of, of the event. So if I can run 230, 230. at age 50, 230, I got to be under 230 and, uh, I'll, I'll make the lion's den. So I think you can do it. You're not that far off now from my, from what I saw last time. So nope, nope, I'm not close. Close. (laughs) I still got some work to go, but I could shave some more. And 
the fun thing about having Jennifer there, because she had never seen this before. You know, she was like, some people's like, I like, what is it? So I had to find some videos for her to watch before we went up and was trying to explain to her what each event was. And we were trying to, you know, we don't have a, a tower in McCook to train off of per se. So it's just trying to, you know, I, I train with methods that can as closely mimic the course as I can. So weight wise, um, you know, the same exercises and muscle groups that are going to do it. And that's exactly what I was going to ask. How do you train for it? So, yep. So a lot of, uh, like we did, um, what two, like the first week that she started training me, you know, so this year, um, I did a lot of conditioning work, um, and then got into some super heavy weights. And then we kind of backed off that a little bit and kind of went with some lighter weights and higher reps. And then we still can, you know, can kept on doing the conditioning and the closer we got to the, to going up to South Dakota, then we, you know, she would adjust things accordingly. And then, you know, I'm still doing, we ran three or four times of practice through like a simulated course set up as best as we could do it here. Um, and, you know, was getting respectable times and, you know, and then having her be able to see the full course and watch other, you know, watch me run through it and then watch other people run through it. She could kind of see where to tweak things and, and adjust it for me. But, and so that was a big help for me personally, because I just kind of have been on a, a whim really just like okay well I think I'll try it this way and you know then I'll try it this way but to have have somebody that really knows you know the ins and outs of it and be able to to key in on certain areas for me help so she goes yep we're gonna work on this and we're gonna work on this and we're gonna work on this <laughs> I go I always give her I always pick on pick on her when she's you know when I get done with the workout and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, the more I do it, the more I want to keep doing it. And, you know, I'm, I kind of take pride, like I said, I take pride in the fact that I'm as old as I am. And the guys at work tell me you're probably in the best shape of anybody down there. So that's amazing. Yeah. You know, so I kind of wear that a little bit as a feather in my cap. And I know that there's guys that are in far better shape than I am. And, out there but it's you know in in our little department it's kind of nice to have that recognition and and uh definitely something we're proud of yeah it's it's fun so because we started doing uh our own physical agility testing um every year we do an annual pt test on our department and it was something really important that we felt like look you you know you this is a physically demanding job and if you can't do this, then are you more of a hindrance to us or are you like, what can we do to help you get in better shape? And we, we haven't made anything real punitive. Like if mm-hmm. you don't pass, you're out of here. Like we work with people to, to get them where they need to be to pass the test. And, um, and there's some people that they just, they can't do it and it's not that we don't want them but it's like 
we need to find the place on the department for them to fit and, yeah. and finding that. But so a few years ago, like I think it was the first year that we did physical agility testing and uh, part of our physical agility test, we finish it with a one mile run and everybody comes in during the month that we're going to do it and does their test. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm, yeah, I'm going to skip out, you know, whatever, you know, I'm kind of having fun with them about it, but I like, I think I'm going to try it in my gear. So I did like when we do our, our volunteers, when they do their physical agility test, it's gym clothes, basically, you know, shorts, t-shirt, tennis shoes. Right. Yeah. Nope. No, I'm like, I got to be the oddball. And I'm like, see if I can do it in all my gear, you know? And, and I put the air pack on and then I, you know, I got all the way through our physical agility <laughs> test. And when we did the one mile run, we could either do it outside running around the block so many times, or we could do it inside on the treadmill. Well, when I was in high school, I ran cross country. I hate running on a treadmill. So I'm like, <laughs> I'll do it outside. So here I am in full gear with my air pack running around the block of the fire station. And I got halfway through, I got a half mile in and my low air alarm finally started going off on my air pack. And the guy that was timing me was on the opposite end of the block. He goes, well, I could hear the alarm going off. I wasn't sure if you were going to make it or not. <laughs> I kept on running until I got up to where he was at. So I did a half mile on full gear and then I kicked the regulator off and then finished it with my mask on, but I wasn't on breathing air because I sucked it all dry. But, <laughs> you know, so then the next year people are like, oh, I've got to try that. You know, I'm like, they're, you know, the, the challenge he is can not, do it. But yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it breeds a little bit of competition with people. And, and this year, they, you know, so again, it's just more like, ah, eh, I don't feel like doing it this year. Like <laughs> we, we did, a, uh, I think it was the first year I ran in Grand Island and we were doing the physical agility test. I'm like, you're really going to make me do the physical agility test? Like, I just ran the combat challenge. Isn't that suffice? And they're like, no, you still got to do ours. Like, we know you're going to pass, but you still got to do ours. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, but yeah, it's just, it's driven me to be, uh, like I said, physically fit but then one of the benefits that i found was that it connected me with other like-minded people and it it drove me to be to like look for always be looking for for better things and better ways to do stuff and then the amazing benefit that i found was that it made me not as crazy <laughs> <laughs> Like the, the physical fitness, the exercise piece of it has become my, like, that's my go-to when the world starts crushing in on me and, and, you know, the fire service right now, everybody talks about mental health awareness, right? And, and I found that the gym and was kind of served as a, a little bit of serenity for me and and I could clear my head when I was in under a pile of iron and and like it was just me and me and myself and I and the iron in the gym and I, I come up with some really good ideas and and kind of 
have been able to clear my head and get myself out of some bad spots. And, and uh, that's one of the amazing benefits of what the combat challenge has given back to me is it's kind of helped me with my sanity. So, and we even, we've, we've talked about that on uh, at different events, you know, they, they made a big, big deal about it this last year is like, man, it's, we all struggle in this job and don't let it get you down. And, and it's okay to, to ask for help. And, you know, all of us that have been doing this long enough that, you know, reach out to somebody, you know, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be the guy next to me, but reach out to somebody. So, so I know you're going to say something here in a second, but I want to say really quick on that, Shane, is that I think this last year, with all the fun Corona stuff, I think it finally became almost, almost normalized where everybody feels a version of it, even if they didn't feel poor. So that they're right. finally understanding everyone who's felt it all those other years. And so it's, it's, it seems like it's honestly easier to talk about now because everyone went through, even if it was just a month, a period of feeling that way. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's, you know, so if there's any benefits to the craziness of what 2020 was is that it kind of helped bring that out of the shadows a little bit yeah yeah and just as far as you know physical exercise I mean just in general even if it's not um fire service related stress it's just general life stress exercise mm -hmm. out so much like um you know just kind of with where I'm at in the fire career and stuff like that. Like I, I go running at least once a week or, you know, if I had a crazy day at work or something, you know, it's like, okay, I just need to go run. And yep. you, come back and you just, you feel 10 times better than what you did. You know, it's just, there's a huge mental benefit to it. And right. friends, they make people happy and they make happy yep. people not kill their husbands. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, one thing that I wanted to bring up and I, I try to, show people and tell people as much about it as I can in the fire service is just the brotherhood because that's it's a huge thing for me that's a big reason why I got into the fire service in the first place is just because of the brotherhood that friendship and when we went and watched our first combat um challenge mm -hmm. when we went and watched it um I remember everyone there was even though they're competing against each other they're all there on the same team yeah, I remember, you know, you running an, an individual event, stuff like that. Like so many people's goal there is to just simply complete that course, no matter what the time. And I do specifically remember someone there at final stage, that final drag. And, you know, the last, you know, 20, 15 feet, you know, is just the killer. And then pretty soon you have three or four guys up there, you know, just pushing, you know, pushing that person to get better, make the course. Yep complete that goal i was gonna say i think it was either the person who was gonna go next or the person who had just gone before was also out there to trying to like literally up at their ear talking them down that last little bit you yep. know along with like several other people yeah just talking them down the last little bit in their ear so they could hear them not like down in the crowd so it was right really cool to see so it seems yeah there's just a huge brotherhood within the combat community too i mean just those people that are out there being those really big influences on you and helping you through all that yeah and that's that's what i found is like i said earlier is that there's not that many of us that really do it and you know there's been past competitors and they've just aged out or whatever and you know the current over six over 50 world record holder and the over 60 world record holder is from nebraska 
Really? Yeah. Um, he's down on Fort Calhoun Fire Department, retired out of Omaha. Uh, and I'm going to draw, like, I'm drawing a blank because I can <laughs> see him, but I can't remember his name. And I am horrible with names. But, uh, you know, every time I see him, and he was one of the ones that was in, instrumental in having the combat challenge in Omaha when we did it, you know, with the relays early on. And, was so welcoming and encouraged. Um, Al Ernst is his name. There you go. <laughs> yep, Al Ernst. So Al was so encouraging for us. Like you got to come down, you know. And and there was a a team from Omaha that was pretty fast. And those guys, they're like, you need to, like if you want if you're in Omaha and you want to train with us, come train with us. Like we'll help you out. We'll do whatever we can to help you out. And so I would call them up and hey, what can I do? And they'd give me tips to help me out. And there's you know there's been some other guys around the country that have been the same way. They're like they just want to see people be their best. So that's kind of cool to do that. And and the whole like when I ran in Grand Island one year. <clears throat> the person that I was supposed to, that they had paired me up against didn't show up. So I was running the course by myself. It was, oh, geez. it was hard. basically, it was basically just against the clock. Right. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm racing the clock and my Lieutenant, the guy that I got to come down and compete that, that year and run the individual, they, he had asked if he could come out on the course and he actually came out on the course and was, doing that encouraging me all the way through the rest of it and then I was able to do the same for him you know when he ran his but and that, that's the way it is you know and they'll talk to you they'll like when you're doing that dummy drag and you're like they mark out 50 feet and 25 feet and you're like going backwards and you're trying to like oh my gosh like where's it at is this ever going to end and you see that first marker and you're like oh my god halfway there and then the course official that's walking with you is like you know 50, you're halfway there, you know, 30 more feet, you know, 25 more feet, 10 more feet, you know, and they're letting you know how close you are to do it and trying to keep, you know, so that you don't drop that. And I remember that first year that I did it, the guy that was my course official, like he got right down next to me when I was trying to pick that dummy up. And I, it was all I could do to muster up the energy to pick up that mannequin and he got right down next to me and was just so encouraging and telling me exactly what I needed to do to get it up and get it high enough so that I could make that hundred foot drag and it and then you like I see this one of the gals that is a on the crew now I saw her in Rapid City and she remembered me from two years ago in Grand Island and like I said I only go maybe do this once a year i don't go to all of the events so i don't see all of that the the staff all the time but they remember people from and she made a really nice compliment about how um how i competed that day and and looked like i'd lost some weight and i hadn't really lost some weight but i leaned out and put some muscle on <laughs> so I looked different, right but it, it's so cool when when you have that interaction with people like that and, and you oh, see yeah. guys that you know, you've been, you've watched them on the course and then like they kind of become your hero and then you go talk to them and it's just like, yeah, they're, you know, just like you and I, they, yeah. so they're not larger than life, but it is, it's a really cool feeling to have that, that you can, you know, lean on those guys and the guys that are super fast or like, they'll help you out. You know, here's, 
here's what you need to do. So that's what I really like about the whole, that community of the combat challenge. And then seeing the people come out, you know, like just ordinary citizens that have no idea what's going on. They stop to watch it and they're just blown away. Like, how, you know, how do you do that? So oh, yeah. it, it really is. It's fun to see their reaction and, and, it, and it's fun to be a part of that, that, I call it a fraternity almost because it really is. It's so the numbers are, there's not that many of them. You're in the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. So. No, that's awesome, man. And it's, it's really cool to go watch that stuff. And, and like I said, the brotherhood's just amazing when you go and yeah. watch it and see that encouragement and everything. So. Yep. So talking about all of this, the, the firefighter challenge and everything and how good it is for your health overall. You've been starting to teach at least, at least once, if not more than once, I'm not sure quite yet how many times, but you've been starting to teach a class regarding mental health with first responders. Now, correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, but can you go in and talk about that a little bit or probably a lot bit, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love to, because it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. So um, yeah, at fire school this last year, I got to present a class, mental health awareness for first responders. It was kind of born out of the hospital here in McCook does quarterly trauma reviews, and we always do an education piece. And they're like, hey, can you come up with an education piece to do for some time? And I'm like, yeah, I think I have a great idea. Well, I had just written a research paper about equine therapy and first responders and how it benefited PTSD. And so from that, I kind of created this program for to get out and let people know it's okay to talk about this, um, that it's okay to talk about you know, mental health. And it's okay to talk about if you have depression, if you have anxiety, if, you know, PTSD and, and all that goes with that, but not so much just, it's okay to talk about it, but I also go into like what to look for, you know, some of the signs and symptoms of, of all of it that, that goes along with it. And I tie in my personal story with it. And <clears throat> that's been probably the most rewarding part for me is being able to take my experience and my journey through the shadows of some really ugly places and come out on the other side with a story or a message that I hope helps other people. And if, if it helps one person, then it's, it's all worth everything and every, all of the blood, sweat and tears that I put into that program. So and it kind of started out as like this 20 minute, 20, 30 minute piece. And then it ends up like by the time I'm done, I'm like, how did we get this long into it? Right. And so it ends up being a little bit of a dialogue with, with the audience and pulling some of their own experiences in there and not really forcing them to talk about it, but just because it's like a conversation over the, you know, with a good friend over at the firehouse table, right? Sitting down, having coffee or, 
you know, sitting down, having dinner, something like that. And then some of the best conversations happen at the kitchen table of the firehouse to me. So definitely. Um, so a background on how I got to that point. And my personal journey with it started in 2018. I had reached a point, I was going through a really ugly divorce, um, a really ugly custody battle with kids. Uh, I had a long-term relationship that had just ended. And I wouldn't say long-term it, you know, we, we dated not quite a year and it was a long distance relationship, but it was, it had been the first relationship that I had serious relationship I'd been in since my divorce. And so that hit the legal battles hit. And then I found out that I was going to be a grandpa and like, it just, my world kind of got turned upside down. And so I tell people that I had all this spoonfuls of shit going into a five gallon bucket. And I didn't know, I'm not sure what spoonful actually overfilled the bucket, but at some point the shit was going everywhere. <laughs> and that's a nice way to put it. But I had, you know, at that point I'd been on the, I'd been in the fire service for career volunteer for 20 plus years, 12, that's almost 25 at that point. And I, I just, like when I was seriously considering being a ornament for a semi, I thought I needed to do something different. And I served on, I serve as a peer counselor for the statewide CSM team in our troop area. So I go talk about, you know, do debriefings and I do critical incident stress stuff. And I wasn't able to recognize all of the warning signs. Like it wasn't, clicking for me and but I also knew that enough from that training that sometimes the spontaneous stuff is what gets us in trouble so I, I reached out as I'm a member of the International Association of Firefighters being a, a as a career guy I get to be in the firefighters union and there's a an amazing facility out in Maryland that is called the IFF's Center of Excellence and it's a treatment center for substance abuse and mental health disorders. I'd had all this stuff kind of pile on me at one time. And I like had seen the highlight or the ad for that center in one of our magazines. So I called the number and it's a toll free number. I called up and they're like, do you have a problem with, you know, do you have a substance abuse problem? And I'm like, no, because at the time I'd, been sober almost 23 years so yeah I, you know I, I didn't have that problem mm -hmm. still don't I just celebrated my uh, silver anniversary this year so 2021 was 25 years of continuous sobriety for me so congratulations yeah. congratulations so, <laughs> through all of the crap that I've dealt with I you know that's the one thing no one can ever take away from me is my sobriety and it's and one of the things that I I value the most. And without my sobriety, I wouldn't have any of the rest of the stuff that I have. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of always, you know, kept that in, you know, in the back of my mind. But so I call this number and I'm like, 
I'm standing on the edge, right? I'm teetering on the edge of falling off. And they're like, well, there's really nothing we can do for you. And I'm like, holy crap, you know? So I was able to get pointed in the right direction and get some help, you know, to kind of get me off the ledge, so to speak, initially. And then we did, uh, and when I come back, I got, I was out of town. I called, called our union rep. And they're like, oh, no, that's not how, like, so they made some phone calls and there was a miscommunication and they had some new people working at the call center and they didn't <laughs> quite understand how everything worked. because they. I was going to say. Yeah. So they answered for multiple treatment centers, but our, the treatment center I went to is the only one that accepts behavioral health issues. So mm-hmm. everything else, it is, it's all substance abuse. So they didn't quite make the connection so so in in november of 2018 i went out to the center of excellence and spent um 40 days out there um inpatient therapy and it was all firefighters and it was people that from all across the united states and canada that had the same kind of you know we're all dealing with the same shit right we've all been dealing with the same bad calls and uh, the same bad life experiences. <clears throat> and so having that, the someone else that you can kind of identify that's been down that road, um, is a, was a tremendous help for me because I know when I got sober 25 years ago, that that was what helped me was it was someone who had been where I was at and they could understand what I was going through at the time. And so it was, having that same thing to deal with PTSD. And, you know, so I got this wonderful diagnosis that this career has given me of PTSD, anxiety, and uh, depression. I'm, I don't have, thankfully, I don't have depression anymore, but, you know, I do have some, I do have that tendency to fall back into that if I'm not careful. So, yeah, so I, I share my story and how it, it benefits and, you know, coming out on the other side of that ordeal and it's turned into this amazing thing. And I've gotten asked to speak uh, at a few different places. I put it on for, you know, like I said, the hospital here, and I put it on at State Fire School. That's the largest audience that I've done for. <clears throat> and I've had some other people that they're like, man, I want you to come talk to us at our department. Like, this is like, you, you have, will you come talk to us at our department? I'm like, yeah. So, yeah, it's, that's, it really it's important for me and and it's you know we line of duty deaths from firefighters are what we're like on average over the last 30 years 40 years almost 50 years is 100 100 deaths per year since we we've been keeping track since the late 70s 78 i think is the first year of firefighter fatality studies and on average we 100 people die in the line of duty cardiac arrest traffic accidents, uh, getting lost and disoriented in a building, you know, all the, the gamut of what we deal with in the fire service, but we don't track firefighter suicides. Mm-hmm. And, and in 2014, 2000, uh, I think it was, a, it was a 2013 study that Florida State had done, and they, they interviewed 800 and some firefighters and they, out of that 800, one out of five had had suicidal ideations. 
uh, one out of eight had had a plan and about one out of 10 had had an attempt of a suicide. So, and that was just, that's 800 people. So um, the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance um, kind of tracks that. And they think that the, the, if, if everyone was reported that we probably are losing close to a thousand, that we've probably lost close to at least a thousand of that are suicides. So yeah, and, that's incredible. Yeah. And the only way that it gets reported is if a family member reports it or if it's a news story or, you know, something of that, of that nature that they, but there's no clearinghouse, so to speak, of um, that it automatically gets reported. So. So the number can um, definitely be a lot higher than what we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, and that's the thing that just, it amazes me is like when you, the, it's a sobering statistic mm-hmm. because, but I kind of understand a little bit because when I got in the fire service, it was like, suck it up. This is the, you know, that's part of the job is you just do it and move on. And everybody in the fire service experiences trauma differently. So Mm -hmm. something that impacts me profoundly may not have the slightest impact on you and vice versa. And, you know, what's a run of the mill call for this firefighter is like it life altering for someone else. And it's all based off of our own life experiences. And, you know, that's one of the things that I learned when I was out at that treatment center is that so much of what I've dealt with from my childhood all the way up into why I became a firefighter, like it all kind of goes backwards to that. And you can start to kind of pinpoint when we did work through the trauma side of it, you could kind of start to pinpoint where certain things would lean you to go a certain way and why certain calls impacted you a certain way. And, you know, so it was one of one thing that I learned about myself is that the timing of all of that when it happened the way it did was that finding out, you know, I mean, obviously the, the compound effect of everything else, but finding out I was going to be a grandpa and that just absolutely scared the bejesus out of me because I had a call that was an infant call related that I took it way too personal. Like I felt like it was my fault the kid died. And so then I have all this paranoia and fear that, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to take care of my grandson. And so it, that all came out of just working through the trauma aspect of it when I was at that center. So, you know, and now I wouldn't trade it for the world. And it's, it's the same thing with, with my sobriety is people are like, would you, you know, can you go back to drinking? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a million dollars if I didn't have to go through everything that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, but you wouldn't also like, I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go through everything I've gone through, but I also wouldn't take a million dollars to go through everything I've gone through because it's, it's brought me to where I am today. And, and all of those experiences have helped shape me good or bad. And, 
you know, you can look at it from let it get you down or you can let it motivate you to do better. And, you know, it's, you know, it, they say that people who commit suicide, they don't really want to die. They just don't see any other way out. Like that's the only way that they feel like the pain will stop. And I always used to kind of be cynical of that because I didn't like, how can you, you know, suicide's like throwing a hand grenade in a room full of family. And, you know, you, that person gets off easy. It's the rest of the people that are stuck with the collateral damage. Right. And then I got to that point of like, Oh shit. Now I know why they get to that point, you know? So but it's pretty cool. I, I got some really, really good friends that I met out there that I stay in contact with today. And, and, uh, you know, I always thought, man, I got it so freaking bad. And then I look at this guy, I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't have it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in how you look at it and, and it's all perspective, but you know, so that's been a wonderful journey, a wonderful program that, that I hope to continue putting out there and, and giving people at least the opportunity to talk about it so yeah I think one thing with that that caught me is something I've noticed for a while now um that a lot of people especially on the outside that don't see into the first responders world but even in the world they don't understand that it's everyone thinks it's one event it's 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 one thing that causes somebody to go over the edge or to 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 have those either PTSD, anxiety, or depression tendencies, they don't understand like what you were saying exactly. It's a big bucket. It's a bunch of different things that happen over time. And that even if people don't know it, there are subtle cues, or if you were to check in with people once in a while to, even if it's not going to completely empty that bucket, maybe you could empty a couple scoops or something to be able to help that situation with it. So just, right. just letting them know that it's not just one big event. Most, it can be, don't get me wrong. It probably could be, but from the experience I've seen with myself and with other people, just it's, it's multiple things that happen over time. And then, yeah, there's just one thing. You never know what it's going to be. That's going to send you over the edge. Yep. Yep. It's that cumulative stress effect. Yeah. So it's, and that's the research paper that I did really kind of address that and that was when I was doing the, the groundwork for that that was what was so eye-opening to me is that man it's it's there's actually a diagnosis for that you know the accumulative stress effect mm -hmm. and you know and it, it's you might have a signature call or a signature event but it's yeah it's that event for some reason was finally the one that broke the camel's back. Right. And, you know, but it's everything else that led up to it. And so, yeah, the, the cumulative effect of stress is, is something that a lot of people don't understand. I, I definitely think it's a, a great program. I, I hope you keep teaching it because I want to sit in on it sometime, but I, the thing that really gets me is it's not, I think it's kind of stereotypical that like, people think it all comes from like the fire service the actual job itself but mm -hmm. in all reality it's the job it's the family it's the whole personal life it's every problem that goes along with it too it's not necessarily just the job you know yeah and either either from you know 
uh, a supervisor's standpoint or a family standpoint, I think it's overlooked a lot of times, like what's going on in this person's personal life that's affecting them at work, you know, and stuff like that. And just, yep. I think there's a lot more that goes into it than what meets the eye, but I, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I talk about in this program is that like mental health diseases per se. So you think anxiety, depression, that kind of stuff, those things, the impact that it has financially, it, there's like it, close to $30 billion annually in lost production. Like that's the, the financial impact of not only just like lost production, but you look at people that aren't focused at work, people who call in sick for, you know, because they can't get out of bed um, because they can't face the world. So they're, you know, they're losing dollars that way. Suicides lost wages, right? And they are, they're tracking that and they, you know, they come up with this astronomical amount of money that, it, you know, mental health issues cause every year and i'm like when i read that i was like holy cow. like i never thought of it in that regards right yeah but, but it is you're absolutely right chris in that because when i was in that mindset i wasn't i wasn't a firefighter that or a paramedic that should have been doing some of the things that i was doing because i was like i know that there was times that i probably made a mistake because i wasn't focused on the task at hand and I work for a you know we're a pretty small department pretty everybody kind of knows and everybody knows when somebody else is off my shift especially um, I I couldn't have asked for a better lieutenant because when I was struggling through my issues we were like he would just flat out hey something's not right with you today why don't you go home like take some sick leave, just take a day of sick leave and go home. And now we kind of joke about it now and they, we call them our mental health days. And we'll take a day like we have it in our contract of if we want to take a day off, like if we're just like overwhelmed, we, we take a day. We don't have to have a reason. We don't have to have a doctor's note. It's just we and we don't abuse it obviously but right it's yeah. nice to have that so that man if you're not if you're not feeling it that day like you you have that way to take the time you know focus on yourself get back to whatever you need to do you know um fishing is what i was gonna say and the other one that's the other thing that i don't get you know if i if i haven't gone fishing for a while you know that's that's my therapy like i can go out on the lake and sit in my boat and i might not catch anything i mean i usually do but um and i have a cousin who i fish with a lot and she has probably you know over the last couple of years have be, has become my one of my bestest friends and that yeah we're family but we truly are friends because she's been there through the low and she's been there through the high and when we get together we just laugh like crazy and it i always feel better after that you know and um, i'm friends with a stand-up comedian and he talks he 
he teaches a laughter heals program and how important laughter is. And that's something that I found is that, man, when I get to laughing and it releases those endorphins, I feel a ton better. So I tell people in this class, I'm like, find a funny movie. Like if you're just feeling blah, find a, like the funniest movie that you can find and watch it. I don't care if it's the hangover. I, like I love Mel Brooks. So find a Mel Brooks movie. You know, <laughs> Spaceballs space is classic. That's my favorite yes. one. Spaceballs, um, Young Frankenstein, you know, mm -hmm. any of those like that, you know. Um, but find something that you can just absolutely howl and laugh at. And um, one of the things when I met the gal that I'm dating, when I met her, that drew me to her was her laugh. And she will start randomly laughing about something and just laugh hysterically and i'm like what's so funny and then i get to laughing because i'm laughing at her laughing and then it just it snowballs and she laughs harder and then i laugh harder and you know we, we did it tonight just before i came over and was doing the and we started recording this was that I did something kind of funny and she just, she couldn't quit laughing and it made me, and I'm like, stop, I'm crying. You know? <laughs> I feel like I can yeah, really it, relate to that. I, I'm like, I'm looking over while you're talking and Chris is staring at me. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, just, you know, find laughter. And, you know, we, we joke in the fire service about having that dark sense of humor and there's a place for it. There's, there's a time and there's a place for it. Usually not in the Denny's restaurant with, you know, a room yeah. full of right, yeah. families, you know, trying to have a nice meal, you know, but that's where the kitchen table at the firehouse comes in handy again, or, you know, we can, there's a time and place for that. And I've heard some pretty inappropriate comments and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that, but it was funny as hell, you know, <laughs> there, I, that's one thing I, I think I learned it, uh, probably when I was going through my EMT class, I'm guessing, but like, and maybe it wasn't, I don't remember, but um, just that, yeah, that dark sense of humor that firefighters tend to have, a lot of it is, it's stress releasing and talk, it gets you to talk about it, it gets you to laugh, it gets you just to kind of let things go. So yeah. it's not always a bad thing, but like you're saying, you know, there's definitely a time and a place for it, you know, but. Um, yeah, it's, we, humor can be it's one of those things if we can laugh about it we know it can't be that serious mm -hmm. and if we can laugh about it it loses its power that it has over us yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah very much so do you have anything else you want to talk about with this tonight or anything <laughs> we talked you out pretty much <laughs> i know yeah i can't thank you i'm like i'm surprised we've you know it's, we've gone almost two and a half hours almost i'm like so oh, I'm sure we could keep going, but I mean, yeah, that that'll be for we'll we'll have to do this again sometime. We'll have to I'll have to share my because I'm you know part of the Les Luker conference and yeah, we got to uh, give that a plug in here at some yep, point, right? Yep, we got it. Yep. So, <laughs> so that's so that if it, people listening, that's how I met Shane in the first place <laughs> from that. So <laughs> we'll give that a plug. <laughs> yep um fdic is coming up so there's all there's so much stuff that we could talk about but yeah we'll, we'll have to save some for another episode at least so absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so. 
it's been a pleasure getting to do this and and I love getting to talk shop with anybody. So awesome. If people want to reach out to you, yep. First of all, say where they can and how they can find um, well, I'm on Facebook, obviously. I think everybody's on Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, uh, my phone number. Uh, I don't have a problem putting that out. So, um, or email, you know, if you want to email me, my email is shaneasmith36 at me.com. Um, and then uh, I can, I'll pass my phone number on to that, you know, if anybody wants to do that, but Facebook's probably the easiest way to catch me. You just shoot me a message on Facebook and, and we can kind of go from there. And, um, you know, call fire station and cook. I, everybody always asks me, Hey, what's your number? I'm like 911. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the easiest way to get a hold of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they, it, it, it's just, but yeah, Facebook's probably the easiest to get a hold of me at. And, but I, Facebook, Instagram, I think that's LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I had to do that for college. Um, but yeah, lots of stuff. So Perfect. it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. I enjoy talking to you guys and, and look forward to it. To do it again. Oh, definitely. We've absolutely. definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a <laughs> blast, man. So. So for uh, everyone who's still listening in on our wonderful conversations here, um, thanks for listening to us. We hope you got some good nuggets out of this and uh, hope you uh, enjoyed listening to whatever time you listen to it, day, night, evening, whatever you happen to be doing. I screwed it up. You did screw right. it up, but that's all right. Whatever <laughs> time you listen to this, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time.